Hi, and welcome to episode four of the 905er podcast with myself, Roland Tanner, and my co-host, Joel McLeod. Hi, Joel. How are you doing this week? Doing well, Roland. Thank you. If uh, our listeners remember, a few weeks ago, we had a teacher, former teacher on to discuss uh, the back-to-school plans that we were uh, busy hearing from the provincial government. Today, we have uh, the chair of the Halton District School Board, uh, Andrea uh, Grabenz, as well as the vice chair of the Halton Catholic School Board, Marvin Duart, on to discuss on the ground what the situation is like in terms of planning and getting the schools, our schools all back ready for day one in the uh, era of COVID. Tur- proved to be a complex process. There, It was a very thoughtful discussion I thought that we had. Uh, we went into a few things I, I learned that I didn't know beforehand about it. And I think it, it kind of gives a perspective in terms of what our uh, our school boards are going through on the ground as we uh, prepare for this deadline that's only three weeks away. Um, we, Roland and I, I think, had a great time interviewing. We learned a lot. I we're hoping that you'll learn a lot as well. And uh, here it is. Okay, so Roland and I are excited to have uh, two experts um, or officials from the Halton education system with us today. Uh, first off, we have Andrea uh, Grabenz, who is the chair of the Halton District School Board. And we have Marvin Duarte, who is the vice chair of the Halton Catholic District School Board. Thank you both of you for uh, taking the time to come on the podcast today. We are about three weeks away and change from the start of the 20. 20- 20 school year. Um, I understand uh, that HDSB has released their school plan, correct, Andrea? It has. However, uh, due to the announcement that the uh, minister made on Thursday, uh, our staff is currently analyzing it for okay. any implications and changes. Okay. And Marvin, HCDSB has still not released their plan. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, we had a plan which came to the Board of Trustees uh, last Wednesday, uh, and uh, the trustees have asked for some mo- more information from staff. And in the, in the meantime, the Ministry of Education came up with a new set of guidelines, and so all put together, there's work being done right now. Okay, so that, that kind of goes into my next question, because as you both said that the Ministry has released new guidelines, new information, and there was new money allotted to the board's uh, to help with this, we had we had announced the minister made an announcement back in May uh, that you the boards respectively you be responsible for coming up with a plan. Um, later, changed that to uh, he wanted you guys to look at a hybrid learning model, and then after that, Premier Ford made remarks stating that he wants students back in school full time. So that's three different models, and I'm wondering how did that affect your planning processes. As this, as this information from the top was being fed down to you? So uh, the minister had actually in May uh, or earlier uh, said that the ministry was going to come up with some plans. They'll have, right. they'll have a plan for us. And then on June, I believe it was around the 14th, said our plan are basically these criteria for boards to come up with their plans. And so our boards had actually, well, my board had actually, uh, and I know the Catholic board has as well, started working on the potential, uh, sort of the basics around creating a plan starting in early May. Mm-hmm. And then we, we kind of came to a slow down as we knew that a, a plan was coming. And then when that was released, and then we went full bore on trying to, come up with these three plans. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, uh, different items started coming in and our plans would be adjusted. And then every board had to have their plan vetted, basically. Um, Though it's not an official approval, it is either sort of supported or their red flags uh, given to the board when their boards are when their plans were presented to the, what the minister calls the central table. And then once those plans were vetted, the, uh, the ministry then came back on the 30th and said, okay, going forward, it's going to be the hybrid model or the adaptive model, as they like to call it now, uh, the adaptive model for the secondary and for certain boards, 
uh, open for the rest of the province and a full uh, comeback for the uh, elementary model. And then we keep getting these other announcements coming in, like the one last Thursday, even though it's not in the documentation Mm -hmm. about the 50% of the students' time in front, in person, in the adaptive model. That's not what the original documentation said. It said instructional time. And so that's thrown all those boards uh, that had come up with plans into a, a reassessment mode and it's forced us to extend our okay. survey time on, mm-hmm. on that note i'm, I'm going to speak kind of as a parent here and my perspective mm-hmm. of this whole process has been it, it feels very much like we're rushing to get this done and i was saying to roland off uh off the uh, air here that it feels like we're we're rushing to get our homework in at the 11th hour and it's half done uh to use a, a education terminology and i want is, is that am i Am I wrong in, in sense that, or do do you as board members feel feel that this is the case that we're rushing to get this done? We have less than a month to go to the start of the school year, and there's a lot of details that need to be sorted out. The parents want answers to, and I know that they're asking you, you guys, <laughs> as the board trustees, what what are the answers to these questions? And a lot of this is is very complicated to figure out. And my question is long winded, but it it comes down to like, are we? Why are we rushing to get this uh, this plan done when we've known that we've been in a pandemic since March? Marvin, I'll let Marvin, you go first. Marvin, do you want to yeah. take this? Sure, sure. Uh, uh, thanks, Joel. Uh, so uh, I'd, I'd like to take the very cautious approach here uh, when you said we are rushing to get things done. Uh, so basically, there's too, too many uncertainties right now. We are in a situation which is dynamic, which is changing almost every day, every other day. Uh, and so the ministry is trying to take an approach where they try to cover bases and try to, you know, instill confidence in parents and, and try to make uh, give guidelines that make uh, parents confident to send their kids and welcome back, uh, make them make the kids feel welcome uh, back to school. So things are changing here. Uh, I know uh, our boards, both our boards have been working, the staff has been working very closely and uh, long hours, has been putting long hours in the summer and I wouldn't say they are rushing now, they have been working steadily and uh, throughout the summer. Uh, but with the changing guidelines, what do you do? I mean, uh, you got to work with the reality that things are changing. And so the staff has been, you know, they themselves do not know what to do. And so they are doing their best. So uh, I would take that approach that they've been working steadily trying to follow the guidelines. The guidelines keep changing. And, uh, and at the end of the day, the staff wants to make sure that our kids are safe when they get back to school. Uh, that throws, uh, it's a huge thing. We do not want to, uh, want to tell the parents, send your kids to school, and then somebody falls sick, and then that's a bigger problem that we have now. So it's a cautious approach which we are taking, which, which appears that we are working slow, but we are not. Uh, so uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be changing in the next two weeks too. We're going to see changes coming. We're going to see new uh, guidelines from ministry coming. Uh, but I wouldn't say we're rushing. We are taking a cautious approach, uh, which is necessary in times. We need to keep our kids safe. We need to keep our teachers and staff safe. So uh, okay. there's going to be work to be done. Yeah. Then on, I just want to add one follow-up, Roland, and I'll throw it over to you. Um, on that note, uh, Marvin, um, I understand, okay, if the guidelines are, are going to be changing uh, going forward, even up to the start of the school year, then do we have enough time to ensure that our schools are safe? Would it, is, it, is it prudent to maybe do what BC did and push back the start of school maybe a month, maybe a couple of weeks, just to make sure that we are in the best position possible uh, to make sure that these that our schools are safe for not just the students, but the, the teachers and, and the staff um, that we rely on? Very good question, Joel, and yes, you're right. We need to be taking an approach which is, uh, which is, which is correct. We need to be taking a cautious approach, and you are, you are correct. Would you, go, would you send a letter to the, the Ministry of Education requesting uh, something like that to be pushed back a, so, a couple weeks? So we have a meeting coming up tomorrow. We have a special meeting coming up tomorrow. The staff has been working on, uh, on certain uh, aspects which we asked them to work on. Uh, trying to minimize class size. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and uh, and if required, yes, uh, that's uh, the right way to go. But let's. I do not want to to jump ahead of myself. And let's wait for the reports to come out tomorrow. Uh, and Andrea, would you would you for the concur public, with that? 
for the public board, we actually have a special meeting on Wednesday, and it already includes uh, a motion to write a letter to the minister about several issues. One of them, first and foremost, is please stop surprising us. Um, <laughs> we we need we need a solid. Uh, you can't keep changing the rules of the game. This is no game, but it, I'm just using that analogy and expect everything to go smoothly. We still have to timetable our high schools. And normally we start doing that in the spring. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the other thing to remember is that uh, boards have no way. We, we don't have the ability to push back our, or delay our time. We have to get approvals from the ministry in order to do that. We also have no way really of, of raising funds on our own. Uh, we, the uh, tax rate is set by the ministry and it, uh, it goes to the, basically into the provincial coffers. So, and then comes back to us again, basically is how it works. <laughs> so we cannot personally say, okay, if we want to lower the class size average for elementary, we can't just raise taxes or anything, even have bake sales. We can't do that sort of thing to make that happen. And, and, to, uh, and to, to, to that point, I, I believe one of the most recent things, one of the most recent sort of Friday, I think it was a Thursday announcement, but late week announcements was uh, the implication that boards could kind of raid their uh, reserve funds uh, if they have them. Uh, is that, well, first of all, do you have reserve funds? Uh, and second of all, do you think that's a, a fair request for the province to make? I'll start with you, Andrea, again. Okay, so we do have reserve funds, and those reserve funds are, um, some of them are already committed in other ways, uh, and some of them are internally committed. So, but we've already dipped in to, I, I, I believe it's 6.1 million that we've, we've been able to dip in, but it doesn't actually make much difference. The way the minister spoke, it sounded like this is the golden ticket to be able to reduce the class sizes in elementary to 15 students per cohort and be able to spread out. But even just to hire enough teachers to meet that goal, we would need $100 million, actually more than that. And that, sorry, and that's so just the Halton Public Board? That's just the Halton Public Board, just for elementary and just for teachers. So we're not even talking renting space, which we would need to do, especially in North Oakville, South Milton, as uh, Marvin knows, they're exploding. So there's not a lot of space available, even within our own schools. It's tight. Uh, so... I know I hear from Burlington constituents all the time about why aren't you using the high schools and things like that because we've recently uh, closed two high schools. But we have to look at the entire region as trustees. Uh, and it, it's, uh, people don't realize that for us to be able to uh, spread out elementary would still be a problem. And even using those schools, we would be dedicating uh, a whole bunch of money just to Burlington, which is an equity issue big time. We would be screamed out at across from, from Milton, from North Oakville, and even from Halton Hills to say, hey, why are you concentrating a huge amount of funds in Burlington? We have these issues our children count too. And Marvin, is that the same experience with the Catholic board as well? In terms exactly of the same. It's, there's no golden ticket, as, uh, as Andrea pointed out. Uh, the thing is, uh, if, if the public, I don't have the actual numbers with me right now, but I'm assuming that if it's 100 million in the public board, it would be 30, uh, 30 to 40 million in, in, the, in the Catholic board. Yeah, so that, that's kind of a challenge. And besides capital uh, funds we have, all boards are mandated to have uh, capital reserves. Uh, but if we are, we are we are planning on building two schools in Milton. Uh, we have a high school which is there, which is just a uh, sanction, as well as the elementary school. We need the funds there, and so it's committed. M money has been committed. Uh, but yes, we have capital funds. I don't think uh, that's sufficient to take care of the uh, of the uh, the load that's going to come to reduce the sizes uh, to 15. On on that on that note, I know in Toronto, John Mayor John Tory has offered the Toronto District Board to find additional space within the Toronto 
uh, Toronto properties, uh, their community centers, et cetera, libraries, et cetera, uh, to help for students if needed. Um, I'm just curious, have any of the mayors of Milton, Halton Hills, Burlington, or Oakville made a similar offer to either board? Or if not that, um, have you approached any of those municipalities to make us for some kind of offer to use uh, their space? Uh, Marvin, I'll start with you first. Yeah, if you want to ask me about Milton, quite frankly, uh, I would say there's no space in Milton. Okay. Absolutely. At a community center or anywhere you go. Oakville, there is some kind of uh, possibility of, uh, of reducing the class sizes and using uh, spaces, uh, but not a whole lot. I, it's The number of 15 is virtually not possible across our system, at least. And the public, I'm sure it's not possible. Maybe 20 or something, maybe the right number, but uh, uh, yeah... I'm sure staff is looking at that. We have to see the media, the report okay. for tomorrow. Andrea? So it, using what we are allowed to use in our reserve funds that are left after us already committing a portion of our reserve funds would allow for just around one extra teacher per elementary school. So there is no point. Uh, and we have not been uh, we have not been approached by any of the four municipalities. And because there are no funds, there is no point in us approaching them. We can't spread yeah. out. And, and on top of that, we would be dealing with huge transportation issues. Right, right, right. Okay, that's something so, I didn't think it, about. <laughs> and, and it was just, so it leads me into the question that, that, that has been kind of implied through this process, but I haven't heard anybody state overtly or, but there's a different approach being taken with, with primary children and, uh, and high school students. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Is it the suspicion is that that it's teachers are kind of being used like like childcare, and that uh, younger children can't stay at home if their parents are working, so they have to go back to school. Is that ultimately your understanding, Andrea? I I would say that there is definitely an economic uh, imperative that is trying to be met uh, by having students, uh, elementary students back in the system. And I can understand that um, from the point that many parents are struggling. I, when I was speaking uh, a few weeks ago, having some interviews, a lot of the producers I spoke about said, you know, that they were having, uh, they, this issue was hitting them personally, uh, especially when I was talking to a woman. So, um, and, and I understand that. So what the province needs to do is fund appropriately so it's safe. That's what needs to happen. And for, again, I'm editorializing somewhat here, but, but it seems to me, and you, you can, Marvin, you can certainly correct me if you'd like to or not, that the province has been reluctant to provide the kind of sums that are needed and that it perhaps has shown itself willing to spend in, in other areas. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Uh, I'd be cautious to say yes or, uh, or no over there. Uh, but I'd just like to add on to what Andrea said uh, uh, regarding uh, parents wanting their kids going back to school. We had a survey some time back and 60% of the survey parents said they want their kids back to school. So, so in elementary, yes, people want their kids going back to school. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's not, not everybody has the luxury of working at home. I do, but not, not everybody has the lug, that luxury. Uh, in secondary, uh, the situation is slightly different because of the way the, 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 the subjects, the kids choose their subjects and they got to be moving from one class to the other class and they intermingle with, uh, with other kids. So that's the reason I'm thinking that they decided to keep the class sizes smaller there. Um, but in elementary, the kids do not generally cross from one class to the other. So they just made a blanket rule and said, go back to classes. That's one thing. Second thing is the, in the older schools, the class uh, area of the each class uh, size is little bigger than the high schools. So that may be the thinking of the ministry when they said all the elementary kids go back to school because they can probably ensure uh, spacing in the class classroom. Not the JK and SK, that's different, but the other classes, I think they can manage uh, spacing. So that might be the thinking of the ministry. Well, to, to, to that point, actually, um, I, I actually spoke to a, a teacher who teaches elementary, um, I, I believe in this grade 13, grade 12 sort of age group. And the feeling was that, that the, you know, if most 
students return, and I understand everybody kind of has an opt out, uh, it would be very difficult to teach in uh, maintaining social distancing was, um, uh, I don't think I'm putting it too strongly, almost impossible was her feeling. Um, and just the nature of what children are like. And uh, and also that the kind of our modern teaching is, isn't necessarily a teacher standing at the front of a class with a, with a, uh, with a chalkboard, but, 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 you know, individualized uh, approaches to students walking around, you know, that there's, there's a lot of proximity involved. Um, do you, do you recognize those challenges or do you, is there anything that, do you think these will, there's any way to resolve those, those sort of inherent uh, difficulties? Uh, so, yes, uh, in today's day and time, the way of, uh, the model of instructing has changed for sure. Uh, and uh, we have some platforms, D2L and so, and so uh, as such, uh, which are provide which are which are tools basically for providing the uh, the education to our system to our students. But is that perfect? No, it's not. So uh, what we are trying to do is, and we talked about this at length in our previous board meeting, is how to enhance uh, the learning experiences of our, our our kids. So there were a few suggestions uh, for distance learning, and uh, staff is working on that again. Uh, and how best we can make online learning exciting to the kids as well as reassuring to, the, to our parents. Because parents need uh, some education too because we did not learn in that system online. We learned physically being I'm, present in class. Since you brought up, uh, Marvin, I'm going to jump into that that uh, quagmire. Because um, if we remember back in March, uh, the solution was going to be distance learning was going to help save the school, the school year. And... I'm going to, this is me editorializing, of course, but I'm going to say I've talked with a number of parents and a number of teachers about this, and no one has good things to say about distance learning. Um, they understood that it was a stopgap solution, that they we had to do something, and it was, I think, just pulled off the shelf and thrown into the mix, and it left a lot to be desired. Uh, I'll say that much. Having the lessons learned from that experience, um, and it looks like distance learning is going to be here to, is here to stay. Uh, from directors from the minister. Um, I'm wondering what what have you what changes are you looking to ask for your providers to fill those gaps to fill the um, the spots where where the the distance learning just did not live up to par. And I know that HDSB, you've chosen Google Classroom as your provider. If I'm not mistaken, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a Google Classroom for elementary and Brightspace for secondary. Okay, and I believe. I, I don't know what the Catholic board is deciding. I think that's still up in the air. D2L. D2L. Okay. So are you going back to your providers and saying, listen, this did not work well in these areas. In these areas, we like to see these changes made. Um, are you able to do that? Do you have that kind of flexibility or that that negotiating power? Okay. So just a, a couple of things. Um, when we went into distance learning, uh, I know it, it was definitely not an optimal situation. Uh, the thing is that our teachers uh, had to pivot on a dime. And I've heard uh, good experiences. I've heard of horrendous experiences uh, that happened. And the t teachers just have now been trained on distance learning. I teach uh, at McMaster in a distance learning course, and it is a completely different beast. Uh, it's not something you can't just take in a something that you know involves manipulable manipulable you know working with actual uh, hands-on stuff in the classroom and right. easily transferring that over to something that uh, that is online and. I would say our teachers tried as hard as possible to do it. Having said that, uh, we have, as a board, offered uh, workshops, training, and I know a lot of teachers have also taken it upon themselves this summer because they knew it was coming. Whether we were starting in uh, a remote setting, uh, all this talk about the second wave uh, and potentially beyond, they knew they had to, to uh, get on board with this and be better teachers want students to succeed. They do. You wouldn't dedicate your life to be a teacher and, you know, actively watch everything fall by the wayside. You want your students to succeed. That was, that was, I was just wondering what, what changes or what, what you've gone back to uh, the providers to say, we need to 
to fix things just weren't working. We'd like to see changes made to make it more equitable or more viable an option for students and teachers. So on the on the technology side, there have been a few suggestions that have gone back to Google Classroom, and I'm sure since uh, D2L or Brightspace um, is a, actually a Canadian company out of uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, there is a, probably a conversation going on, though they are... They are actually, that's what I use at McMaster as well. Um, they are kind of long-standing companies. And I don't know if it's the technology uh, that needs a lot of changing, but more how it's used. And I think okay. people didn't really understand how it was, it how to use the technology. I guess that's okay. all I have to say. Marvin, Marvin, your comments? Uh, like, like everything, the more you use the tool, the better you get at it. So it's D2L was thrown at uh, at parents, they're thrown at kids, thrown at teachers. Some <clears throat> teachers had not used the tool before. So as you use uh, the tool more, you get better at it. You iron out uh, the, the quirks that, that uh, exist. And um, so I think if I'm not mistaken, our, our two boards work very closely where this is concerned, the curriculum is concerned. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Andrew can correct me. I think that, I think first there's a PD day which is uh, which is dedicated to the teachers uh, to to uh, sort out the differences uh, on on these platforms. I think uh, the first PD day is dedicated to teachers uh, and teachers training and on these platforms. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. So they're getting there. There are um, a few PA days before the school starts, and uh, part of I mean there. They're trying to cram in a lot of information, health protocols, mm -hmm. and uh, you know <laughs> everything. Well, I guess into that goes those days. I guess that goes back to like, do we have enough time to do that? Because a big, a big criticism uh, that parents had was the distance learning. A lot of them felt that it it was a poor substitute for the in class uh, structure that we are we've all lived and been raised on for our entire lives. No, and I don't think anybody was criticizing the boards or the government. It was just you know this the pandemic happened and we literally had to rush it to f figure out something. But the, the concern is we now know what worked and what didn't. How do we prevent the bad stuff from being like, are we just settled on what, what was, uh, was set for us or can we improve on it and make it something truly better? Andrea, I see you're raising your hand there. So we held summer school online this year and uh, which included some elementary, <clears throat> sorry, elementary uh, courses and it was very interesting that I had re I've received uh, a number of very positive reviews, um, and it was it was interesting. The parents, you know, emailed me saying I was very skeptical considering my experience uh, going, you know, for the spring, but this was excellent. And I think that what the, I know I know what the board is doing, and that is to find those champions, those that were successful and using them, picking their brains, making them mentors to be able to uh, spread those uh, ped pedagogical, um, mm -hmm. make just spread it around the board. And we've also dedicated some money specifically to helping with that. We've got, we've have a few, uh, a couple positions that are in our budget to specifically support uh, those those, uh, the online environment to help teachers be the best they can be. I just want to jump, uh, we're running out of time, and I just want to uh, sneak a couple of questions in un under the uh, under the bar before we, we have to stop, and you've been very generous with your time. Something that I, I know from the teachers I've spoken to over the years, long predates uh, uh, COVID, is the issue of uh, ventilation uh, in classrooms and and. Uh, uh, so it does the fact most many classrooms still don't have air conditioning. Um, many classrooms were built in an era when uh, architects decided that windows that open weren't such a great idea. Um, is there anything? Uh, obviously, this costs money. Is there anything that your boards are able to do to improve the ventilation situation when it's been shown? I think pretty clearly now that that there's an association between ventilation and spread of uh, of the disease. Uh, I think uh, our, m many of our schools are new, and from the information that I have, all our schools have air conditioning, uh, with uh, uh, with the exception of seven schools where the gyms do not have air circul circulation. Uh, we are investing in uh, equipment for pure air purifying in all the schools, 
and uh, and, and I think the government has allocated some funds for for improving the system, but that's not enough, uh, as usual. But uh, but that, that's where we are we are at, and we are working on on that. So well, actually, uh, could you just could I just qualify the question a bit? And how many schools would you say have? Uh, what kind of percentage of schools uh, do you believe have? Air conditioning, as I would understand it, is something that actually cools the room down, mm-hmm. uh, and ventilation, as in making sure that the air is being uh, yeah. changed regularly. Yeah. In 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 the Catholic board, all schools have air conditioning, except seven schools. The gyms, the gym, do not have uh, air conditioning, uh, which is uh, which needs some attention. And uh, Andrea, in the in the public board, is it is it similar? So we have, uh, most of our schools have air conditioning. Uh, um, that's not to say that that air conditioning is everywhere in the school. All of our new schools, of course, have. And uh, uh, we have a program that we've been funding out of our reserves for many years called Close the Gap. And it is to bring those older schools, you know, as much as possible in those sort of HVAC systems along with IT, et cetera, to try to bring them up to, uh, we'd like to get them to the standards um, or to the, and the experience of the newest schools, but uh, there's, there's not just not enough money. And the $50 million that the minister spoke about last week, there are 72 public, publicly funded school boards in the province. So that's, that's nowhere near even a million each. And just to put, just to uh, add air conditioning to um, a high school, uh, in not even the whole thing, is like a million dollars. And yeah. there's, le- there's three weeks till school. So yeah. Yeah. there's no way that that is going in in time to satisfy, uh, you know, this year going into this year's school year. In terms of... Um and it's something I have a little bit of a bee in my bonnet in as, as someone who's sometimes interested in architecture and building design and things like that. Uh, just opening windows. Uh, I, I think it's one of the most profound mistakes when we stopped putting op- windows open in buildings. Is that something that could be done relatively cheaply in, in buildings to you know, just get some fresh air in? Or is that just, am I being completely unrealistic? Uh, I think... I understand from our superintendent of facilities that um, we, I, I think almost all of our older buildings, uh, windows open and the newer buildings all have the higher end HVAC system. And we've, right. um, now we, I, I might not, I'm not sure about our oldest, actually probably our oldest, oldest schools do like central right. and, yeah. and, uh, and Georgetown. Um but uh, and we've repaired all the screens. They've been actually working on that this summer to try to to get those um, the windows in the best working order we can. We, we've uh, we've probably gone beyond our time limit, really. And we should really uh, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I know there's a thousand other questions that that uh, the parents and teachers alike would probably like to ask you. And and uh, uh, but you've you've both been uh, wonderful in your in how uh, uh, open and frank you have been with your answers, and we we really appreciate that. And we're so glad to be able to help a little bit in um, uh, getting you know the voice of our elected representatives to to uh, the public in in Halton Region. So uh, thanks so much for for joining us today, and uh, all the very best with it. And um, we. Obviously, everybody is hopeful that that this will work out well, and um, I think people do appreciate just how hard everybody involved is working, and that obviously this is not something that anybody could plan for, well, not easily plan for before it happened in March, uh, uh, and that you know these are these are huge and intractable problems that are being dealt with at uh, at record speed. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Roland. It's thanks, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so nice much. meeting you too. Nice meeting you Thank. too, Marvin. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks again to uh, Andrea and Marvin for uh, spending that time with us today. I, I thought that was absolutely fascinating, uh, Joel, and uh, uh, they were quite frank with some of the challenges that they were facing um i think probably you could always also 
perhaps read between the lines in a few places uh, of, um, you know, they're, they're obviously constrained about how directly they can criticize the province, but uh, certainly seems like there are a few things, certainly the kind of weekly announcements um, is a big issue that has made life difficult for them. Well, and, I, definitely, uh, I definitely think it's a case of trying to come up with a plan and then you come up with a plan and the problem says, okay, now I want you to do this as well, which as we're, as we're discovering the the devil is in the details on this back to school and it's i think it's going to be it's not a blunt instrument or a blunt policy that you can you can write down and say okay now we're going back to school it's very clearly a fine it's got to be a fine-tuned machine on this return to school uh venture and i i find that i i can i what andrea was saying about wanting the minister to just say this is what how much money you have this is what we got this is what you have to play with make it work as opposed to this drip 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 of announcements that i i don't blame her I would, it would drive me nuts to say okay we have a plan oh no now we can now we got to do this well how does this affect our uh, our planning our budgeting and what we can do it feels like we've had at least three if not more sort of iterations of provincial plan and the 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 board's uh, are doing their best to okay this is the plan right how do we make this work and then the plan changes and and and, and the bigger issue probably is just the issue of funding that the, the province is putting some money into this but but really not a lot um well andrew was saying uh, the this 500 million dollar announcement that Le- minister lecce announced uh last week it sounds like 500 million that sounds like an awful lot of money but as she pointed out when you break it down amongst the 72 boards that's only like 6 million i think she said 6.1 million for the board i mean with a, in a board of you know 800 million dollar expenditures like you know a, a huge amount of money like 6 million is not that much money like it it, it, it you know how, how do you how do you when you divvy that up amongst all the different schools um elementary and secondary i mean we're, we're talking pennies virtually uh in the in the grand scheme of things and yeah i mean what how do you stretch that where, where do you spend it on do you spend it on upgrading ventilation do you hire a handful of more teachers do you try and rent a, a few more spaces to 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 find some more space for kids you know it's it's, it's an unenviable enviable situation that uh i think the board trustees for both catholic and public are uh, are in right now and a fact that keeps on coming back to me, uh, and I can't remember where I read this eventually. I think it may have been on one of the school board websites, actually. Um, that you know, in terms of increasing hygiene and cleanliness around the schools, um, you know, cleaning surfaces, things like that. The new standard is that every every table that's used by children is now going to be cleaned mm-hmm. once a week. That's the new standard. That's not the old standard. Before that, they weren't cleaning them every week. Now they are. And that's going to stop seriously. In a, it seems. Well, that's, it's just, it's, uh, me, this would be editorializing after that. I, I find that we're doing the bare minimum. I really do. I, I, I don't, I don't think, and I'm not, and this, I'm not blaming the, uh, I'm not blaming the school boards for this i don't i i think it's uh they just don't have the funds or the resources to do it and, and it's it's a we're scrambling to pull this together and it, it's just i find it it's shocking i mean I, there, yeah it, it's it's gonna be a a a trying start of the year and i i think parents are rightfully stressed out if you're a parent and you're listening to this uh i'm right there with you it's it's a you you, you want to do what's best for your kid you, you want them to be in a situation where they're comfortable they're going to learn they're going to be amongst peers um in an environment that you trust that you that you think is safe for them but you know you right now we don't know that, that that's safe and the alternative distance learning it doesn't look to be any a viable option either we we know that distance learning in at the start and the start of this was i think it was a full of hope but it turned out to be a, a failure in the end now i think that uh, the boards hopefully it sounded like they did learn some lessons from that and hopefully it will be enough to fill some of those gaps but I, at the end of the day i just don't think our t- parents have the confidence in the in the system right now and that's it i don't know i don't know how you build that up in three weeks to go yeah and, and, and i think we all accept that there's probably no perfect solution right now uh, you know, we we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Hopefully, a pandemic we currently have under control. 
there are no perfect solutions. That's fine. We are, you know, so we have to do the best we can. But the question is, are we doing the best we can? If if the province is ultimately as concerned about the economy by sending children back to school as it is about anything else, then it's money we're talking about. Um, if it's the economy, then spend the money to get the economy going right. and invest that in the schools because you know it's going to it will pay for itself in the business that we're making. So, I mean, I certainly appreciate the kind of view that we're a province that already has plenty of debt. We've just taken on a huge bundle more, and that you know the 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 uh, the purse only holds so much. Well, actually, that's really bad economics when people say that. So, I kind of eject that to start with. But but also, um, if you you know, we saw in two thousand and eight that governments can really mitigate the worst of a, of a financial crisis through through expenditure um well I this think, is a case where expenditure was needed well i think um it, it's kind of telling like doug ford premier ford uh was down in windsor last week uh just before uh minister lecce made his big uh, 500 million dollar announcement he was in windsor ford was in windsor toting how he's going to find money to for all these infrastructure projects down in the Windsor Essex and money for a new hospital in Windsor Essex and all this and he was boasting about how he's you know the the the, the he's going to go talk to the Treasury Board and the Minister of Finance for Ontario and he, he's going to find that money no, no matter what and it, fair enough I mean I'm not going to say Windsor Essex doesn't deserve a hospital but where's that enthusiasm and that drive to find money for the education system where's yeah. where's that like and, and it, like the best we can come up with is you know five hundred million dollars of the of the school board's money. It's not additional funds. It's money that the school boards have, um, and then the, the top it off is three hundred million dollars. I mean, there's more money being given to OLG than there are to the school boards. Well, and more money was given to uh, beer companies when they broke the the contract. Right. Uh, you know. It sounds like an awful lot of money. It's not actually a big amount of money. And maybe they do, they, frankly, if it's about the economy and getting people back to work, then you probably need to be spending serious whacks of money. Well, I think it's going to come back and bite them in the butt because if we end up going back into another lockdown, if we get an outbreak in our schools that we are forced to go into lockdown again, the economy is going to come grinding back to a halt. Because if parents have to all of a sudden choose between job or staying at home and, and teaching their kids i don't think anyone's going to be happy about it i think parents are going to naturally choose their par their children especially if they're of they're of elementary age it's just i think i think we're, we might be for we might be having another problem just in october or november if a, if this second wave which everyone says is going to hit when it hits i don't i just don't know what we're going to do and that's the final point i think we should make before we move on that we're, we're making all this is about planning for the best case scenario. This is this is about planning for children at schools where the levels stay around where they are now. There's little or no planning for what happens when cases are rising at, at, at a at a high speed again. Mm -hmm. And it's then we'll need another plan. And it's like, no, you should be making that plan now. <laughs> Anyway, let's stop ranting about that one and rant about something else. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, you know, and this is just our take. I mean, the 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 trustees uh, gave probably a far more rounded and, and fair perspective that, than you and I will do. But I mean, the, these these are from that perspective, just reflecting. I think what what a lot of parents feel. Certainly, yourself, you're you're dealing with with this uh, directly. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on now to our kind of other things in the news section. And uh, last week, uh, what one of those topics was the ranked ballots being discussed at Burlington Council. Um, I, I broke my own moratorium about, about against doing <laughs> delegations at City Hall and did a delegation, which uh, obviously is not a City Hall at the moment, but done uh, online. And so I, I gave a little speech about um, why I think ranked ballots are a good idea, and then uh, council spent the next 12 hours talking about lots of other things that were on the agenda that day and ran out of time for, for ranked ballots so it didn't even uh, end up being discussed but it will come back at the uh, the next the next cycle of the um, of that particular committee 
which has a name which is so long and complex that I can't remember the name of it. And actually, that brings me on to another subject that we had. We've had some feedback, and I can say we've had some very positive feedback. In fact, nearly all positive, uh, for which many thanks to the people who've, who've sent uh, nice comments away our way about the podcast. And someone corrected me on the name of the committee that I delegated to that I said wrong last week, and now I can't even remember it at all. So um, it's <clears throat> something like community services and something, something, something. They used to they used to be called like the committee of the whole or something. Uh, you know, they changed all the names, and um, I understand why they changed them because the old names didn't make a lot of sense. But at least they were somewhat more memorable. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for the feedback. Really appreciate that. Um, and we'll be following up certainly about the rank bar issues in in the weeks ahead. Burlington is the latest city in Ontario to to look at rank ballots. And I think it's important that this is a subject that doesn't sort of uh, go by without attracting any comment or interest at all. As I said, I'm, I'm very, um, it's an issue that's really one of my kind of pet projects, I guess. Um, so you'll have to, if you're not interested, too bad, you'll have to listen to me talking about it. <laughs> and the other big one, and this is definitely something we're going to be dealing with in the weeks and months ahead as well, is the provincial government about 10 days ago uh, announced that it's going to be building a new 400 series highway that joins um, it joins the uh, 400 north of, um, well, basically north of Vaughan. It takes a semicircular route past uh, Brampton through Caledon, skirts around Georgetown, and then joins with the 407-401 at uh, close to Trafalgar, Winston Churchill area at the 401. Well, you and I know a little bit about um, highways from, from, from yes. almost a decade ago, and, uh, and uh, they brought this important is a, This issue. is an issue that always keeps coming back up. It, it, it's the issue that never goes away, and it, it's... I remember, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, we, um, about, yeah, 10 years ago, uh, I ran a campaign, a uh, provincial uh, member uh, campaign in Burlington, and our tagline was, uh, I, I would, we were opposed to the hospital, or, sorry, opposed to the highway, we'd rather the money go in favor of the hospital, uh, Joe Brandt at the time, because um, this is the thing, is that we're running out of space to build these highways, and they're not getting the job done. I mean, the last big highway that was built was the 407, and it was meant to alleviate all the congestion on the 401. And it does not do that. The 401 and the 403 are still as congested as ever in the in the uh, commuting hours of the uh, of the day. So I don't know what another it's highway is going to do. I mean, this is this is 1970s thinking in a 2020s government. I'm afraid, uh, and it's. Uh, again, uh, folks listening at home, if you're listening for a journalistic independence and neutrality, you're not going to get it here. Nope. This is a terrible idea. This is the wrong thing to do. Uh, there was a report done in 2017 um, by the previous provincial government. Uh, the report was done by, you know, it was an expert panel rather than the minister making it up on the fly. Uh, and the expert panel said, this this will, this is not actually needed uh, in this format, the same ends. If you're if you're talking about promoting the economy again if, and getting people moving, there are other ways to do it that work as well, if not better. And you know, we're really looking now at a bypass around a bypass around a bypass. I mean, the original bypass was the 401 to get around Toronto. Then we had the 407, and now we have whatever this will be. It doesn't fix the problem. The 401 was once upon a time a four-lane highway. I think its widest point is something like 15 lanes now or something. I can't remember the exact figure. You can keep on adding lanes forever, and they will fill up with cars. It's called induced demand. Uh, and sure, does it help? Does it promote the economy? Well, yeah, it does. But, I mean, there are certain things that... Even saying creating jobs is not an excuse for it. It's a, it's you can a, create the same jobs in a different way without It's a temporary pollution. boost to the economy. It all does is just creates jobs to build the thing. But once the construction is finished, those jobs go away. Um, the, the fact is, the proposed highway, if I'm not mistaken, there's talk of it even going as far down uh, to the border. So it cut through the Niagara Peninsula and through all the... the the farmland that is on the peninsula, on the the vineyards that are a major source of that's those are those create jobs. That's the the winery industry uh, that is so 
important to Ontario and the country. We're going to just cut, you know, a big chunk of highway through it because, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, I think it'll be one of these, I think it turns into one of these ideas that I think the generations from now, they're going to look at us and say, what were you thinking? Where does it end? You can keep on building highways uh, forever and those highways will be used. And for the first year or two, they'll be great. Uh, they'll say, oh, we can get here really quick. And then after a few years, it's like, hell, there's a hell of a traffic jam on this highway now. You simply can't keep doing it. And the, the loss of um, the loss of Greenbelt, um, uh, the uh, loss of, you know, some of the best farming land in, uh, in Canada. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, you know, and most, you know, we don't have an endless supply of farming land in Canada or in Ontario because so much of our, our land is Canadian shield or, you know, basically well, you can't should, be much with be, it apart from mine there. It has to be pointed out though that that land, like agriculture is a major industry. People don't realize it, but like farm producing, like growing food results in a massive industry, not just growing it and p- picking it and, you know, the, that the manual labor for that, but then you have the food processing, you know, being, having it turned into frozen food, into frozen bags of carrots and peas and corn and all that stuff. The, that, that actually creates jobs and that's an industry that it's never going to go away. We all need to eat. Like that industry will never, will never go out of favor. Yeah, and you can say, well, the population is growing. We need more jobs. We need more houses. We need this, but we need more food too. And and if we're not growing it ourselves, then we're having to import it. Uh, and that brings its own environmental problems, uh, plus dependency on the U.S. or whatever other country. Um, it it it's it's short sighted. It's it's so 20th century in outlook and that the car is the only cure to everything. And right now we're in a pandemic where we've all started working from home in a way that most of us were not able to before. And many of us would quite like to at least continue to have it as an option as, as the, the, uh, as a part of our daily life rather than casting into Toronto two hours each way or whatever, every single day of the week. Um, you know, we should be looking at, how can we get people to work efficiently where they don't have to spend half their lives in a car? Absolutely. Why don't we, why don't it's we leave it at that? It really is. Why don't we leave it yeah. at that for, for today? Cause I think that's a whole other, might be another episode in itself. For sure. Absolutely. It will be. Well, uh, lots of things to, uh, to talk about certainly uh, this week and every weekend, uh, we're, we're certainly not struggling to fill up our, our time allocation. So for this week, thanks again, Joel. And, uh, I will, we'll, I will uh, say this Roland, uh, we should remind listeners if they do have questions or feedback, email us at info at 905.ca. Uh, you can also find us on the web at, uh, www.905.ca as well as on Twitter and Facebook and drop us a line there. We'd love to hear from you. And, Tell us how we're doing. Thanks, Joel, for reminding me about that every week uh, because I always forget. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, thanks, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.